What did Moses expect? You might look at the verses of our sermon text this morning and say, I don't know what Moses expected. I don't see anything about expectation in these verses. So let's fill in a little context. Let's think about what had gone on up until that point for Moses. We obviously won't be able to say everything there is to say about the entire life of Moses up until this point. But let's start with this. Moses was the leader that God had chosen, the Lord had chosen to lead his people, to bring them out of Egypt where they had been slaves. And through Moses, the Lord had accomplished some amazing things. He was an instrument through whom uh, the Lord performed miracles, who brought wrath on the Egyptians, all sorts of plagues. And Moses had led the Lord's people out of Egypt. They went through the heart of the Red Sea on dry ground. And they continued on into the wilderness, and they reached the mountain of the Lord, Mount Sinai. And there at the mountain of the Lord, Moses was allowed to ascend the mountain to go up, and he spoke to the Lord. He received from the Lord all sorts of instructions about how he was to lead the people, how they would be organized, how they would worship the Lord. And in giving all of these things, the Lord also gave Moses a very special Ten Commandments. Those commandments summarized everything that God wanted and expected from His people, not just at that time, but His people of all time throughout their entire lives. God gave Moses two tablets of stone on which He had inscribed all of those Ten Commandments so that Moses could take them down to the people. Well, Moses did go down from the mountain, and as he neared the camp of the people of the Lord, he heard some strange and surprising sounds. The people weren't worshiping the Lord, they were worshiping, but not the Lord. They were throwing this sort of worship party, I guess you could call it for a calf that they had constructed out of gold. And Moses saw what was happening, and he realized that the people had gone against everything that God had called them to do. They had become the exact opposite of what God had called them to be. He realized that those people had gone against everything that God had commanded in those Ten Commandments, the tablets of stone that he carried. And so Moses, recognizing this, threw those tablets down to the ground and shattered them to pieces. Again, we can't discuss every detail, so we'll summarize a bit, but the Lord spoke to Moses again, and he warned Moses about his anger and his dissatisfaction. He told Moses, you go ahead, you lead those people, you take them to the promised land, 
But from this point forward, the Lord's not going to be with you in the same way. And Moses begged. And Moses pleaded. And Moses asked God, Don't send me. Don't send this people without you and your presence. Don't let us go without the Lord. Remember the promises that you made. Hold to them. Carry out for us what you have promised to accomplish for us. And God said, okay. And God promised once again that he would do exactly what Moses was asking and with the Lord's assurance that he would be with Moses, he would be with the people, he would bless them, he would take care of them. Then Moses asked, please show me your glory. And that's what I wonder about when I say, what do you suppose Moses expected? Lord, please show me your glory. Did Moses expect the mountain to shake once again and that all around him would shine this bright light maybe through the midst of smoke and and fire and whatever else? Did he expect that he would see all sorts of miracles happening flowers growing out of nowhere, or who knows what? Or did Moses just not even know what to expect? He couldn't even imagine what it might mean for the Lord to do what he had asked the Lord to do and show Moses his glory. Well, the words of our sermon text from Exodus 34 don't tell us what Moses expected, but they do tell us what Moses received. And what Moses received was what the Lord had told him. Just before we get to these verses, we hear how the Lord explains to Moses what will happen. As a result of his request to see the Lord's glory, the Lord says, you are a sinful person, and so you cannot see my face and live. That is not possible for a sinful person. But here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to hide you in a cleft of a rock, and I'm going to pass by, but I will cover that cleft with my hand and only remove it, remove it after I have gone by, and you can see my back. And as I pass by, I am going to proclaim my name. And so Moses went back up the mountain once again. And this time he brought with him two tablets of stone that were going to go up with him and the Lord would inscribe on them once again those Ten Commandments that had been broken And then we reach our sermon text. Our reading begins, The Lord came down in the cloud. He took his stand there with Moses and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Moses asked, Lord, show me your glory. And the Lord proclaimed his name. This is the glory of the Lord that he proclaims his name and he proclaims his name for the sake of stiff-necked people. 
That's how Moses describes the people that he was leading. Remember how they worshiped the golden calf? Remember how they had not only done that, they had done so many other things too. They had come out of the land of Egypt by God's mighty power and they got into the wilderness and they grumbled and they complained. Even as God in the middle of that wilderness was providing food for them and water for them, at times they even said, we should go back to where we were as if they had completely forgotten all that they suffered in Egypt And it seemed it happened every time even the smallest trials and troubles appeared for them. Again and again, they rejected God and His ways and His directions. They were set on going their own way, and that's the picture. They were stiff-necked. It was almost as if their necks were just set in such a way that they couldn't turn uh, aside in any direction from doing exactly what they had in mind to do or what they preferred And so they couldn't even think about going in the direction that God wanted them to go. And Moses wasn't innocent either. The Bible speaks very highly of Moses, tells us about all the amazing and wonderful things that God the Lord accomplished through him. But Moses had his moments. There were times that Moses was even more upset with the Lord's people than the Lord was. He had his moments even before that, like his impetuous young, uh, uh, or in, impetuous time in his younger years when he had struck down an Egyptian for mistreating an Israelite. He had done his own wanderings before this. And yes, at times in anger, he lashed out at God's people so much that the Lord told Moses that he, the one who brought the Lord's people right to the threshold of the promised land, would not cross over it himself. Why? Because he had also been stiff-necked at times. And you know who else fits that description of a stiff-necked person? You do. I do. We were born that way, set in our own ways and not willing to listen to or turn aside towards God's ways. In fact, by nature, the way that we were born, our ways were going exactly the opposite of God's ways. And this is true Even for a group like this, a congregation that gathers on a Sunday morning that makes a regular practice of worship and Bible study, even those that that give offerings and truly live their lives, design their lives around what God says in His words, we all have these moments of stiff-necked rebellion. Did you catch how God, the Lord, talks about His people? He calls them guilty. He describes their guilt and their rebellion and their sin. And you know that that description fits. It fits you. You know the times that you've lashed out towards someone. 
You know how you expect that people will always give you the benefit of the doubt if you somehow do something that's going to upset or offend them, but how you're not often ready to return that favor for someone else. You know the grudges that you hold. You know the, the golden calves that come into your lives when there are times that God's ways and God's words take a, a back seat to the entertainment and the sporting events and the family activities and whatever else it is, maybe just sleeping in on a particular day. It's not hard to imagine if we stop and think about it that the Lord would say to us, that's it. I'm not going with you any longer. <coughs> Excuse me. You're on your own. And please understand what that means. If the Lord is not going with us, we do not reach the promised land. If the Lord is not with you, then this, what you see and know right now, is as good as it gets. And when this life comes to an end, you will find nothing but suffering. <coughs> and this is the Lord who says about himself, He will by no means clear the guilty. But it's for the guilty, and it's for the stiff-necked people just like you that the Lord proclaims His name. We've been using His name. We've been referring to Him as God or the Lord, an appropriate name to use. But when He says He will proclaim His name, He means more than He'll give us something that we can call Him. Think about the second commandment where God says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord. Or consider the first petition of the Lord's Prayer where Jesus teaches us to pray to our Heavenly Father that His name would be hallowed, His name would be kept holy among us. And you see that when the Bible describes God's name, when it talks in those terms, it's telling us that it wants us to think of everything that we know, everything that God has revealed to us about Himself. And that's not a far cry from our own experience. If someone hears your name... They don't just think of some random combination of letters or syllables or sounds. They think about you. They think about everything that they know about you. And so when God proclaims His name, He wants that to reflect everything that we know about Him. And when the Lord proclaims His name, here's what He says. The Lord the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and overflowing with mercy and truth, maintaining mercy for thousands, forgiving guilt and rebellion and sin. 
God's name. The name of the Lord is amazing news for sinful and stiff-necked people. It's incredible comfort for the guilty. People like you and like me. This is who He is. Compassionate. Gracious, loving, forgiving. He says he is overflowing with mercy and truth. And what a wonderful combination of terms, mercy and truth. It's not as though he just ignores sin or tries to sweep it under the rug. That wouldn't be truthful. But in truth he deals with sin so that in mercy He forgives us and loves us, and He does this in Jesus. In the person of Jesus, the Lord Himself came into our sinful world and yet was without sin Himself. Jesus was was never stiff-necked. He was never self-serving. He was always directed by God and God's will and God's Word, and He was set always on accomplishing his goals, the goals of forgiveness and salvation. He was set on those goals for you and for me and for a whole world of sinful people. Those goals took him all the way to suffering and even dying on a cross, not because he had sinned, but because you had sinned and I had sinned. And the Israelites had sinned. And Moses had sinned. I find it just an incredible thought to consider how when the Lord proclaimed his name to Moses, this was like 1500 B.C. And yet everything that he said about his compassion and his love and his mercy, it was, it was connected to, it was based on what he was going to accomplish for the whole world in Jesus Christ. That's why it was so important for all followers of Jesus to know who He is and who He was. And so you heard the account. Jesus asked His disciples, Who do people say I am? And the people didn't get it quite right. Jesus wasn't just some prophet. He wasn't Elijah come back. He wasn't there for the main purpose of doing miracles or attracting attention or even preaching and teaching as much of those things as he did. He was there as God's anointed, the Lord in human flesh. He was the one to bring forgiveness and salvation to the world. And that, the truth about Jesus, is the foundation the foundation on which God's invincible church is built. The church that God wants is the church that really understands this. The church that recognizes that Jesus is the compassionate and gracious Lord who took away sin and forgives His people. Just like we asked what Moses expected? We could ask what we expect when we come to church. And maybe there are times when we expect or hope 
that church just makes us feel better. Maybe I like church because I find it's a place where I can kind of get my way from time to time. Maybe I think about church as music that's made to entertain me, and I wouldn't even mind it if the pastor makes a joke every once in a while and I get to chuckle. But all of those ideas, all of those concepts, all of those thoughts about what the church might be are descriptions of a church that serves me for a little while right here and right now. It doesn't do anything for me in the future, my future, after this life. For that, I need the church that really knows Jesus. And the church that really knows Jesus warns against wickedness and rebellion and sin. And the church that really knows Jesus offers joy and offers the comfort of the forgiveness that he earned, that he won, that he gives to us as a free gift from him. The church that really knows Jesus proclaims the name of the Lord. Or maybe it's better to say it this way. The Lord proclaims His name to us and through us. And just like Moses did, we bow down and worship the Lord and trust His promises. Amen.